You're listening to Tone Vendors, the Sound Designers Podcast. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Tonebender's Sound Design Podcast, where we talk with the sonic artists behind our favorite films, games, and series. My name is Tim Muirhead, and I will be your host for today as we talk about what it takes to build an audio post facility from scratch. A few years back, we did an episode on building a backyard studio, and is one of our most popular episodes ever. So we thought we would do a follow-up, but amp it up. The previous talk was about a one-person shop. Today, we're talking about a multi-room facility with all the infrastructure that brings along with it. Our guests today willed themselves to be experts on this topic by jumping in headfirst and living the experience. They recently expanded their boombox post in Burbank, California into an entirely new building that was just concrete walls when they took it over. So let's welcome Jeff and Kate from Boombox Post. Jeff and Kate were previously on Tone Benders a couple of times each, so they are obviously a couple of our favorite guests. We're actually sitting in their new facility for this talk. Jeff, Kate, thanks for inviting me in, and welcome back to Tone Benders. Thank you. Thank you so much thanks for having for us. Thanks for coming. Awesome. So, okay, let's talk about your decision to build a new facility in the first place. Why did you feel the need to do that? Uh, we looked at the work we had coming in and our existing facilities and sort of realized we were bottlenecking ourselves a little bit. We had a nice stage that we were renting, but it was small. And uh, even though it worked okay for animated television, which is kind of our bread and butter, we realized that we could really grow the business if we had our facilities stepped up a bit. Yeah, and when we started, we were really focused on being a small business, doing what we knew how to do well, which was the sound work. And so we focused on hiring people with a lot of talent, doing the work ourselves, really putting the time and effort into the design and the mixing, and not pitching ourselves as having a fantastic facility or being that side of things, because we knew that we couldn't compete when we were so small. But as we grew, then obviously we started feeling like the facility needed to start to be part of the equation. Once we were at a place where we were you know, renting two, three stages all the time, it just made sense business-wise, too, for us to have our own place and to be able to control all of those factors. Yeah. So you've decided to make the jump. You have to find a place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do you go about finding the perfect spot? Or does the perfect spot even exist? It was really tough. We looked for... I want to say over a year. Yeah, right? it, we probably dipped our toes in for like maybe six months to a year, and then we got serious about it for almost another year after that. It took, yeah, it took quite a while to find the right place. And the main problem we had was we had in our minds that we had to purchase an office building, so finished out, uh, ready to go, high ceilings for mixed stages, etc. And unless you are going to purchase an existing post facility, that does not exist. Even here in Burbank, California, where there's tons and tons of post facilities, you're not going to find a building that has everything you need, basically. You might find a video editing facility, and we found plenty where we would think, well, maybe we can make this work. But in the end, it ended up being creative thinking that kind of opened things up for us. And we ended up walking into this auto body shop and looked up and saw there were 25-foot ceilings and basically nothing else and looked at each other and we were like, actually, this is perfect. This is exactly what Mm -hmm. we needed all along. And it's sort of a funny story because our realtors had been sending us all these different places trying to hone in on what's the right place for these guys. And they sent us this auto body shop. And then at the time, we were like, why would we buy an old crappy auto body shop? And we ignored it. And then six months later, Kate sent me the listing. And she's like, what about this place? This looks kind of interesting. And I was like, it does. Huge ceilings. This is fantastic. (laughs) And we sent it to our realtors who were very kind to not say like, 
All right, guys. Like yeah, they did we, say, we sent this. We to sent this to you. <laughs> yeah, but they didn't give us a hard time about it. They were just very kind, and they said, "Sure, yeah, let's go take a look." So but, it took yeah, it took a learning process first. Uh, there was definitely there. an evolution too, because going into it, like Jeff said, we thought we wanted something that fit our needs, which is like when you buy a house, you look for the thing that most closely fits your needs, right? But you pay per square foot, and you also pay for like the quality of what's inside. So it's like way more expensive to buy a outfitted office space versus like an empty shell. And if somebody has built a second story that maybe didn't even have permits, you're still paying per square foot and that square footage is like allocated. So if you're gonna rip it all out, you're basically just wasting a lot of money on the purchase price. You're much better, which we just, we didn't know that for about a year as we were looking at things and bidding on things. So there was definitely an evolution. Yeah, Our realtors knew. Yes. There was a major learning curve. But in the end, we were so happy that we picked this space because we started with a blank slate and then we could just plan from there. Yeah. So you purchased the place. Mm -hmm. What's the next step? Well, actually, while we were thinking about putting an offer in, and as you know, all of that goes kind of quickly, we also were like, if we purchase this, would we even be able to build what we wanted to build? How much does it cost to build you know, an entire facility? And then we just had all these questions. When we knew we were getting close to finding the right building, we started looking for architects so that they could help us with those answers. Um, so that kind of leads us to that part of the process, which... We met with a bunch of different studio owners and tried to get recommendations and just nothing was quite feeling right. Like we talked to one guy who was a little bit too corporate and we talked to some other people who were like way too fancy and we just, we couldn't hit it off with anybody and we needed somebody like immediately because we thought we were closing it on something. And Jeff was like, I don't know, fuck it. Let's, let's just look at Yelp. <laughs> so we just went on Yelp and we found like a small business that said they did commercial work that just had like fantastic reviews, but they were not a big place. And we were kind of like, this seems like the perfect fit for us because we're a small business. They're a small business. Maybe they'd understand what we're going for. They won't try and like pitch crazy expensive ideas to us. And so we went and met with them and we just meshed really well. They had recently also just bought their own building and we're kind of outfitting it as a, as a, they're a husband wife um, duo at, over at Office 42 Architecture. Ben and Stephanie Ragel. And they just seemed like they really understood where we were coming from. And they also showed us a lot of stuff where we could tell that they were really, really talented. And Ben had a lot of experience on the commercial side of things, even though now their company mostly does homes. And it turned out to be like the best decision. Every day we were like, thank God for Office 42 or architecture. <laughs> yeah, we found a company that was sort of like a bizarro version of ourselves. They were hungry. They were creative. They just enjoyed the work. And we were just simpatico from the jump. So they had us into their office and gave us a presentation and kind of talked us through the process. And as soon as they started explaining like how things work, we were like, this is great because we don't know how things work. So <laughs> we really appreciated it. Um, and we ended up hiring them like basically on the spot yeah. because we knew we were going to be a good fit and their pricing and everything kind of seemed in line. So that was the first big part of assembling our team. And then from there, they were like this branching, jumping off point to pull in, you know, the contractor and to talk with the acoustician, et cetera. Okay. So w what are the conversations you're having with them? Well, 
I had, so I had, I had downloaded an iPad app where you can basically draw a box of your square footage and then it'll give you measurements of everything. So every time we looked at a building really seriously, I would just stay up all night like futzing around with this app to see what can we fit in here? It's like playing with Legos basically, yeah. right? So we know we want to have a mixed stage that's, you know, 500 plus square feet. How many could we fit? What about the pre-dub rooms, editorial rooms, et cetera? So we had these kind of roadmaps of what could work. So we would hand that to them and they would then go, Okay, you're amateur architect. Like, <laughs> we appreciate it. It really helped Kate and I like know. Okay, this building is at least somewhat sufficient. Mm -hmm. um, but that was the jumping-off point for all the conversations because then they could look at that and go like, Oh, okay, we have an idea of like what you're envisioning. Now we can actually go. Here's the real space you need for hallways, etc., and kind of see what could fit and what could work. So we purchased this building, and then we basically handed the keys over to them and gave them a wish list. And I remember. At the time, they gave us a worksheet that basically had costing for different sizes of rooms and different, like adding bathrooms, yeah. et cetera. So we could very roughly get an idea of like where we would land if we made certain choices. Yeah, so they were kind of like, they could say, what does it cost per square foot to put your stuff in? But it wasn't just a blanket thing. It was like for a bathroom, it's about this much per square foot. And for an office, it's this much per square foot. And then there were all these aspects where they weren't, they had never done a sound facility before. So, but they were extremely technically apt and they understood everything that we were talking about. And we had our acoustician, I believe, more or less at that time, or we had at least like consulted with him. Yeah, we brought on Lee Bartolome uh, as our acoustician. And so we were able to tell them kind of like what was going to have to be built into the walls. And so they were like, well, the mix stages will be this much per square foot, etc. So we kind of counted all that up and said, okay, I think we have like enough money more or less to do what we want to do. It's not impossible, right? So we can buy the building. And then as soon as we bought the building, they came in, I think, while well, we were still like in escrow. And they do what's called an as-is measuring. So they came in with a team and they measured everything about the building and they made a new like architectural drawing of exactly what it was, where every single tree was, where every like tiny corner is, etc. And then they started configuring different layouts. So there were a lot of choices because it was an auto body shop before, which we mentioned to you. And um, there are five auto bay doors. It's an L shape. And then there was also a front entrance, which was a storefront to their office. And so there were a lot of questions like, where would we put the desk? Where would we put the entrance? Because there are like a lot of doors to choose from. Um, and so it's all about, you know, flow. So they did, I think, three plans that they thought made sense, and they proposed them to us. And it was very collaborative because they knew that we know our clients and our business the best. So it sounds like you're just thinking like, oh, where would we want these rooms? But it was really a question of if you walked into a building, where would you turn if you wanted to go to the stage? Where would you turn if you wanted to go to the bathroom? It's almost like, you know, if you've ever moved into like a new apartment and you put your silverware someone and then you keep reaching for the wrong drawer and then you're like, I guess I got to move the silverware, right? Mm -hmm. For sure. <laughs> it's like that with a building. So we came up with this plan, which we thought was the most sensible, which is you kind of enter in the crux of the L um, and we put a sign there so that you would know, which was its own thing because people didn't know where to no enter. No one knew where to get it. When we first opened, <laughs> they would just stand in the parking lot, like try and look in the windows, which they couldn't see us, but we could see them. <laughs> we go up, oh, got another one. Someone go out and get them. So our the desk is there, and then one wing of the L is basically mix and client spaces over here, and then the other wing is common spaces and editorial, which I think actually makes a lot of sense, but. 
Yeah, so that was the next stage, was the as-is measuring and the layout decisions. What came after that? I guess the uh, the construction bidding process. Yeah, so then basically... Well, I guess we had to do the entire plans and get them approved by the city before we could, so they had to get stamped. Yes, so then that's a many, many month process of us just drilling down everything we can do. And that that's a lot of meetings with Lee and with Ben. So, so that, the acoustician and the architect. Exactly, yeah. so that we could make sure that the walls were spaced out correctly. I mean, hand-drawn by Lee, here's how you construct this acoustic wall with the air gaps, etc. And here's how the air conditioning and air ducts have to be designed so that the, the air is quiet, but it flows through the room at X amount per hour. It's extremely, extremely technical, but... Once all that was done and we could approve those drawings, which felt like the, one of the biggest hurdles, honestly, yeah. then you have to take all that out to get to the city, obviously, and get it approved and then get it bid. And that took months and so months. So getting approved by the city is like getting a permit to do it? Is that basically yeah. like they so just stamp the approval? They approval? call it stamping like, the plans, but they basically, they review the plans for a long time. They go back and forth with the architects and there's kind of this process of them saying like, oh, we don't have all the details that we need or whatever. And so they'll keep doing more details in the drawings or whatever is is necessary to show that they're meeting code. It was during COVID. So usually they would show up, the architects, and they would sit before like a panel and they would, I don't know, answer questions and then they would stamp it on the spot. But because it was COVID, it was digital. It was also the city during a digital COVID process that didn't exist before COVID. So like everybody was confused. Everyone was like, well, I didn't get the files. Did you get the files? <laughs> it, that took a while, but they did eventually get it stamped. And um, that basically is the permit to begin work. And at that point, we were we kept being like, all right, let's get the next part going. Like, while we're wor still working on this, let's get the contractor in here. Let's, let's get things set up, get the contracts made. But like the contractors won't even bid on it until this plan is stamped because they don't want to tell you it's going to be a certain price. And then you change a bunch of stuff about it. Right. Mm -hmm. Which makes sense. So we were kind of in a holding pattern for a number of months after we had, in our minds, solidified everything about the plans. But we're still waiting to start construction. So you're Figuring out all the plans for this new facility. Mm -hmm. COVID is happening around the world. Yeah. But you're also running your business in your old building, yeah. right? Exactly. Yeah, well, COVID hit and we all went home when we were in escrow on the building. So we had just made the biggest like, financial decision of our lives. Which is all around everyone working out <laughs> of a new facility we were, in person. And we were so stressed. You know, we were just, it's like, you know, if you buy a house too, you kind of go, I, I think we can afford this. I guess we'll mm -hmm. see. Right? <laughs> I mean, obviously there's lots of planning that goes into it, but there's a certain segment of your mind, right? That's like really stressed out about it. We, we called up our realtors and we said, hey, everybody's home. It's COVID. We can't even go look at this building. We, nothing is going to be happening. We have to hit pause on this escrow and they were like what are you talking about the world's not on pause like this is just gonna happen and we were like i don't know and then like yeah a couple weeks later they were like i think we need to hit pause on this escrow. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it and you know like obviously the banks were all like not sure what was happening everybody was wondering well will we ever need a facility again will people just stay at home forever after this how long is it gonna last there were just so many questions up in the air and Jeff and I just kept like rooting each other on like no this is a good decision we will be back at work at some point we will need this building <laughs> we were pot committed at that point I mean we put way too much work in so it was either it was do or die for the business yeah. we were either gonna do this or we were gonna basically you know have wasted years of our lives on the process <laughs> <laughs> so we decided to do it we rolled the yeah. dice again we rolled the dice when we opened the business we rolled it again when we when we opened this facility yeah but yes we were both working at the time um I was working on 
of our facility completely alone, our old facility. And Kate was working out of a mix stage in her back house, probably not unlike what your podcast episode was about with the home mix stage. Yeah. Um, she had also just had a baby. So there were a lot of complications going on in that moment in time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we both supervised and we both mixed. So there was no stopping. We just had to keep going. No, um, and I remember waking up in the morning, going to like construction meetings, coming back, working on my mixes, answering like emails from the bank and like all the stuff that goes on with it and just endless questions about where each electrical outlet should be placed and like can I sit on a phone conversation between the engineers and our acoustician where they argue about how fast the air should move (laughs) and then I would like stop eat dinner with my kids go back to work and just work until whatever time I had to until I could be done. Uh, yeah, you know, dark days of COVID, right? Yeah. And there was no sleeping because you're just stressed about yeah, all of this. Yeah, and I just was up time. all night. Yeah, even if you wanted to sleep, yeah. you're so not So the extra sleeping. hours for productivity are there. It's built into the process. <laughs> <laughs> it works really nicely. But yeah, we just sort of got through on fumes and made our way through the process. Looking back on it, it was insane. I, I was talking to our wiring guy 90% through the process, and he turned to me and he goes, wait a minute. I'm realizing that you guys are running this company while you've been building this entire facility. And I almost broke down in this <laughs> moment. And I was just like, I feel so seen right now. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Because it yeah. is, when you stop and think about it, it's almost like you can't. You just got to keep rolling with it. Yeah. And it's, you know, we're not like owners who are just on the business side of things. We're also, like we said, sitting in the mixing mm-hmm. chair. And so you really have to turn it on for the clients, right? And just be your best version of yourself and be happy and excited mm-hmm. that everybody's there, even if it's over Evercast or a mm-hmm. Zoom or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. This was always the dream. So it's in a way that's what fuels you. When we started this company together, we discussed like someday we'll have a facility and we'll control everything and we'll be able to really do things our way, you know. And then when it's actually happening, you're like, all right, well, as stressed as we are, we knew our dream was coming true. And it's been really rewarding because then there was a huge welcoming back after COVID, right? Because everybody hadn't been anywhere and then they got to come back to this great facility. And we had a lot of clients who were with us when we were a much smaller place. So for them to come in and go, wow, like I wish I lived here. It's so nice. It's so you guys. And it was very rewarding because we knew that we were there every single, every question got answered personally by me and Jeff. Exactly. We were the ones to handle it. But we're jumping ahead, I guess. So. Okay. <laughs> so you, you get the plans approved. Yes. yes. And so. we, get, we get into the bidding process. Yeah, with the construction. Mm-hmm. So our architects were great because they were really personable and they're very kind and understanding. But they are also like, they're running a tight ship over there and they're not taking like bullshit from anybody. <laughs> so they were like... We're going to get three companies. We want to choose the companies, but because we were so technical, they were like, if you have a place that you have a recommendation who's done other sound facilities or something like that, by all means, let's get them in. But we want to meet them in person, and we'll be able to tell within five seconds if we can trust them with a project like this. Um, So we ended up, we went with one of theirs, and they were incredibly reliable and super professional. Yeah, so we worked with um, Thorpe Construction, and architects basically said, look, we've got three bids that we went out to. Two of them came back with realistic bids. One's crazy. Throw that one out. The second one that came back seems just a little bit scatterbrained, and I know just from the way this one bid is organized and how it's broken down that these people are going to be fastidious, and it's a little more expensive, but in the end, they're the people who are going to get this job done and not string you along. And we were like, yes, we will take those ones. Yeah, and they said they could tell, too, like the company we went with, they understood the amount of detail work that was going to go into this versus just a regular commercial project. 
the other one was like a little bit glossed over on stuff and they were like they are going to get bogged down by the amount of like acoustician details that you have in because it went into every aspect of the work you think it's just the treatments in the room or just the shape of the room or just the mix stages or something but we're talking about exactly how like the hvac the air conditioning is designed for the entire facility it's just there was so much that he had to consult on that if you didn't understand and really take like his word as key there would be things that needed to be redone. And that's mm-hmm. where you get really costly endeavors. Yeah, the redos mm-hmm. add up. Mm-hmm. It might be a good chance for us to talk a little about the acoustic design as sure. far as that goes, because that was actually part of the design process too. Yeah. So, um, like I said, we worked with Lee Bartolome. We brought Lee on to run all the calculations to do like the magic voodoo that you do. Um, and once we had the architects given us the shape of the room, then he was able to say like, okay, I suggest that you know the angles of the walls are this way for reflection points, and then we put so much materials in these walls, base traps, diffusers, et cetera. Like I said, he consulted on the HVAC and all those little details as well. And then sort of we got to a point where it was a bit of a pause, and that's where things get a little more technical on the Dolby side because we wanted to build Atmos stages. Um, so what I ended up doing was I reached out to Dolby, and they said, mind you, I just want to preface this, we knew nothing about any of this before yeah. we started. So anyone who's listening to this, it's just you don't have to have a degree to figure this out. You just have to have the like energy for it. And you have to not be shy about asking questions. Like We just kept being like, so Lee, do you choose our speakers? And he was like, nope, I don't choose your speakers. We're like, cool. Do you decide what the fabric is? Like who does the fabric? Like how that's done? He was like, I don't do that either. Yeah. So- <laughs> and so then you decide, okay, here's our list of the things we are now responsible yeah. for. So that's where we ended up landing was I reached out to Dolby and they said, do you know about the Dolby Dart? And I said, I have no idea what that is. I didn't even know there was a silent D in it, but there is. Um, It's their system where you basically map out the shape of your room and then it does fancy calculations and tells you exactly where to place your speakers and what speakers would be appropriate, which is magic and awesome and also super confusing to try to use. (laughs) So they sent it over and I tried to open it. It was like an Excel spreadsheet sort of complicated system and I moved some things around in it and I was like, I think I got it. And I sent it back. And the guy's like, let's have a meeting. You have no idea what's going on here. <laughs> so um, I ended up meeting um, with Dolby on, this was COVID time, so it was Zoom. But I met with Andy Potvin, who is like the Dolby whisperer over there. And he was amazing. And for hours sat with me and was like, step by step showed me how to use the dart. And after that, I was like a minimal dart expert and I could basically confidently go in and pull the speakers down that we thought priced in our price range and decide where those would live. And then we could send it to Lee and say like, okay, how does this all look? And he would approve it or not approve it. And then it goes to the architects because obviously everything has to do with the walls, the speaker placements. You have to reinforce all that stuff. You have to have clouds that hide them, et cetera. So it's all still this like part of a bigger piece. But that's that was literally the process of how we figured out how to build the Atmos side of our Atmos stage was get the dart, figure out how to use the dart, and then just start plugging away. And it ended up being easier than I thought in the end, like once I had them kind of handhold us through it. But we really appreciated how helpful Dolby was. Um, Andy was incredible. And then we decided to be a JBL facility because we've always edited on JBLs and we really feel like they're super reliable. So when we were choosing speakers in that system, we could go through the checklist of all the different JBLs and kind of figure it out. And it really helped us to price them out as we were going and go, okay, these are really like right in the sweet spot of great performance, but not extremely expensive speakers. And they're also not like an off-brand speaker. We're kind of in the good place. Yeah, and we're also 
concerned about the depth of the speakers too because we didn't want to lose a lot of real estate in the, the mixed physical stages. Depth the of physical the depth yeah, yeah. of them. So we chose to have our surround ones visible on the the rears, but the clouds hide the Atmos ceiling ones. And then obviously the front ones are behind the screen, but we didn't want to lose a lot of room depth from the front ones. So we actually chose some that are only 22 inches deep, which is actually very shallow, yeah, um, the, extremely tall. Yeah, C222 cinema speakers. And at the time they hadn't been used that much. So it was a bit of a gamble and a dice roll, but the price was good for what we needed. And uh, the coverage was really great and Lee approved them. And at the end, we're thrilled with those speakers. They're fantastic. Yeah. But we wanted to hide them behind the screen and we definitely wanted every inch, like you said, of, of the walls to kind of be preserved. It was definitely like a point of anxiety because if it hadn't been COVID, we would have gone to, I don't know, NAM or something. We would have gone to yeah. a showroom. We would have found a studio. Demo we would have gone somewhere to and, yeah. demo like a few different options. A rep would have helped us. But we really just were kind of like drifting on our own in our home <laughs> studios. <laughs> so I looked around on uh, a bunch of audio forums just to see what people were saying about the few that we were considering. And we really wanted the C222s. Yeah, right? because their depth was so shallow. Yeah, and, and we had read that they were great cinema speakers and that they were an appropriate size for the room. So we then we felt good about it just from sort of forum talk at that time. Yeah. We should say, it's sort of an aside, but we should say it really does kind of take a village and it helps to have friends in this business because we were working off of Juan Campos' stage over at the sound department as one of the stages we were renting. And he was so forthcoming about building his own stage and all the lessons he learned. And And we stopped by when he was building it before we even started renting. We didn't even know him. He was just a friend of a friend of mine. We were just like, hey, can we stop by? We might build a stage someday. It was years before we built this facility. And he was like, yeah, sure, come on over. Yeah, he was more than happy to kind of show us. And, and there's no secret sauce or anything. Just give us some details on the the choices he made and, you know, burying conduits to have all your wiring and how deep and get a conduit double the size you think you're going to need because there's always going to be more cables. And he was absolutely right about all those different things. Yeah. But we didn't go in totally blind because we always had someone to call. You know, if I hit a snag with anything gear-wise, I would text Juan and in three seconds he would answer me on those things. It's really helpful to know people in the business. When we were shopping around for buildings, we went to Monkey Land and visited Trip, and like he showed us one of his stages. Um, Lee had actually done the design there, so we wanted to kind of see how it all turned out. It's just really helpful to kind of have friends to walk you through all that. And it is such a tight-knit community, what we've got with the sound community. Yeah, I think we got recommended Champion, I want to say by Brian Riordan over at Levels. Levels. We just felt like that was one place where we wanted somebody really professional That's the to do the walls. to do the fabricating in the mixed stages because that was another thing we just had no idea what was involved obviously and we wanted it to look really nice as much as you want the room to sound great and the acoustics matter and everything we still are very cognizant of the fact that we get work by clients hearing that we do a good job from other people and then they come into our space and they sit down and they look around and go, yeah, this looks like the kind of place that I'd like to be in, right? Mm-hmm. And so unfortunately, it's not as much about the work as, as you would hope that it is. We obviously play them clips and we hope that like then we have a lot of return clients, but the look of the space matters. Yeah, if someone's not comfortable, even if the sound is amazing and they don't want to be there. Or if you're yeah. mixed stage, you built it, it's acoustically amazing. You put tons of resources into it and time, but the fabric looks kind of janky and you have like weird pillows. And for some reason you've got like some velvet curtains that are like tiger striped or something. The clients might be like, I don't know about these guys. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's sad, but very, very, very true. <laughs> it is. Everything matters when Lost people... Lost a client because of the curtains. We're, we're in a business, though, of taste, yeah. right? It's a big part of the reason why we love the auto body shop and those bay doors is because we had the idea to just completely have those be glass and just be windows, and they're giant bay doors. So a lot of audio facilities you walk into, it's a quiet space, right? So you're in a darker area. There's a lot of maybe lamps and lighting. It's interior, but it's not necessarily like natural light. So we're all kind of cave people in general. But One fun story, Jeff went to, for a physical and he was, what, vitamin D deficient? I was. Due to lack of sunlight when we worked at, at, uh, at Warner, Warner Brothers. Brothers in the underground. Yeah, place. so I've been taking vitamin D ever since. <laughs> yes. So this is, this is what we've we all signed on for. We are literally cave people. Yeah. This yeah. is what we signed on for. But, but what we decided for this facility is like, hey, a great way we're going to set ourselves apart is you're going to walk in and there's going to be natural light flooding the entire facility. Of course, once you come in the mixed stage, you close the door, it's got to be soundproof and we, we have it all split off from the rest, but you open the door to go to the restroom or to step outside and the outside is coming in. And that's something that's really different. And I think that's why a lot of people feel really comfortable here is because it doesn't feel like you're sort of locked inside all day, uh, especially in the common areas and things like mm -hmm. that. And so. even we we had to make a decision at a certain point, you know, you give your full wish list to the architects and they make the plans and it's beautiful and it's great. But then when the construction bidding happens, they tell you how much everything's going to cost, which you really just don't know exactly what the number is going to be until that happens. And then there's a, I forget what they call it, but there's like a process where you basically just redline all the stuff that you decide not to do based on the bids. And VE, they call yeah. it value engineering. engineering. Value engineering. That's the part where you get to be like, I'm too cheap for this. We VE'd so, the hell out of those plans. <laughs> when that number came back, we VE'd it like crazy. Also, a lot of it just depends on materials costs at that particular moment too so nobody can tell you what it's going to be and unfortunately in covid all the materials were like incredibly expensive so there were things that we thought we would have the budget to do that we didn't and things that we had to cut because like wood was just really expensive above like all other stuff and so there were some particular wood things where we were like well what if we don't do wood countertops you know on the reception desk what if we do you know laminate and so there was a swapping of materials but one of the things that they wanted us to lose were these side panes on each office where we have basically this like vertical piece of glass next to each door which I kept pushing for in the beginning because I was like, no, we need to get light to our people. <laughs> and we kept them, and I'm very glad that we did. I'm really pleased that's one of the things we decided to prioritize. It was like one of two things that we kept that yeah. were on so the even in, even in the editorial spaces, you still got some natural light coming in all day, which yeah. is really nice. And it also makes the rooms uh, more inviting when you can tell if someone's in there or not yes. and without having to knock because when you're knocking, you're Im immediately ruining their flow. Yeah, exactly. We really try to have a, like a, a friendly and communal work environment here. So it's kind of nice that we have access to each other in that way. So, so you VE the hell out of it. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so we VE the hell out of it. We got to a place where we were not thrilled, but okay with the numbers. And then you say, <laughs> let's do it. And you move forward. And then I believe, was it a waiting game again at that point to kind of break ground? I think, was, I just feel like yeah, we waited for. We did have to wait again. Something with the city. That's all I know. Either with the contractor and everything, because they just wanted to make sure they were legit. And so there was a whole process on that yes. side of things also mm -hmm. happening. Let's see. So then we broke ground. They start with demo. And so they ripped out everything that was here, which wasn't much. And then they demoed a lot of the concrete. So we had full concrete floors. And so they did all these trenches to put in like the mixed stage conduits that basically yeah. like carry the cables under the ground. And that was another thing where they kept being like, why don't we VE this? You can just put the cables on top and just wrap it, you know? And we were like, nope. No. So yeah, we broke ground, they did all that, they laid any plumbing that we needed because we added new bathrooms. Um, 
And then they do this layout pass where they basically chalk every wall of the building with like string that's covered in chalk. Yep. And then you do a walkthrough because they said the as is measuring, it's never exactly accurate because they haven't demoed yet. So they can't get it to be perfect because their wall's in the way. So uh, the rooms might be like slightly off. Maybe this one has a weird corner they didn't realize, whatever, whatever. So you do a walkthrough and you go into each room and you go, yeah, this feels like how it should feel, you know, or whatever. They realize like part of it wasn't level and they had to pour some concrete and, you know, all that junk. And then, <laughs> and then they started framing it out and it's all steel framing in um, commercial as opposed to wood. Um, and then you can really walk in it and see what it feels like there. So we built all the office space. They put the mezzanine up last because obviously that needed the structure to stand on. And then the mixed stages were kind of the last piece of the puzzle because there was so much detail work. So they did do the walls and everything. We did rattle testing. Do yes. you remember when we did that? I know what that is, you know but is? yeah, explain cool. further, yeah. <laughs> So Westlake Pro did all of our gear and our wiring, and they were really essential on that side of things. They would come by every once in a while and just check in on progress. And one time they came here and they were just kind of like shaking the beams. And they were like, yeah, it seems pretty solid, but, you know, what do you, what, what do you plan to do for rattle testing? And we were like, rattle testing? Tell us more, because we had no idea. And they were like, oh, yeah, your acoustician should know all about this or whatever. So... It's basically where you play a tone out of a speaker and you see what rattles. Because once you close up the walls, you're never going to like fix. And so it could be a tiny nail that was left like on a steel beam. It could be something that wasn't tightened all the way, a screw. Or later on in the process, it could be like a light fixture that maybe is, is rattling. So you're supposed to do one stage of it when it's all open, and then you do one stage again at the, the end. The actual test is like you bring in like a massive subwoofer? Yeah, so... We bought like Lee, a PA speaker. Lee was like, I don't know, you could just do this like on your own or something. <laughs> and so, I, again, we were like, okay, I guess now we'll be rattle testing experts. So we bought a PA, mm -hmm. and he told me like a phone app that goes over Bluetooth that's like a signal Sweet. generator yeah it's just a signal well, it's just a rumble yeah just you just a, play a low yeah. frequency you just play a low frequency know, and you, hertz. yeah and you yeah. turn it way up and um and you wait for a rattle well and the first one that i tried it was like giving this there was this weird tone happening and then lee was like you know what i like called him up and i facetimed him and i'm walking around with our assistant with masks on in a construction site <laughs> right like carrying the, like wheeling one of those suitcase giant speakers that people use for karaoke or whatever <laughs> and like my phone and then just listening to the beams every once in a while to see but we were like there's this weird tone but it doesn't exactly sound like a rattle and then lee said oh i think it's probably just like the algorithm and the app is bad and you should use a different one so then i downloaded another app and that one was better yeah and then you just leave tape anywhere where you think something might be rattling so there wasn't anything that rattled at that point before we closed up the walls we did another round and things were rattling. It's I guess that the light fixtures will often rattle just because there are metal components in them. Um, and what you don't want is something that's going to like rattle more and more as you keep playing mixes that have lots of sub in them. Um, so if you hear it a little bit in the beginning, it's better to try and figure it out. So they basically just come in and they'll like um, put some adhesive around, some putty or whatever, just to try and secure it into place. It's kind of just a great example of like something you would just never think of when you're building a facility, that you're gonna be standing there with the speaker, you know, at 9 a.m. On a, on a work day, just 
on the phone trying to solve this really ridiculous, I, I think I hear a light fixture in the rear left side of this room. But I don't have a ladder, so I can't climb up and see. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, it's a kind of a microcosm of the bigger project as a whole. Um, but yeah, this is a good chance to mention Westlake yeah. Pro, who have been instrumental in the whole process too. So they were our choice to fill in the gaps of our technical knowledge when it came to beyond our what we built ourselves. So. All along with Boombox, like everything was just us coming up with the technology that we wanted to work with. Our philosophy has always been keep it as simple as possible, no reason to be overly complicated. It gets a little harder when you move into a facility like this, and obviously things have to get more complicated. But I basically got on the phone with Gadget Hopkins over there, who's legendary, explained the way I wanted to do it, which was basically like, let's get some focus rights in here with one cable to the computer, and then let's just get some amps and call it a day. And he sort of took a moment to process that because I think it was a very simple thing that maybe he hadn't seen a whole lot of before. And he was like super patient with me and really respectful and was like, yeah, let's figure it out. Let's give it a shot. I think he knew that we wanted to keep our budget reasonable, but also keep things as easy and straightforward as possible. So they basically filled in those gaps and designed the system alongside with me so that we could figure out exactly how we would have the sound go as simply as possible from the computer out to the speakers without any complications. We work on S3s with an iPad dock. We don't want to have giant mixing boards. Our clients don't need that. And then they also did all of our wiring. So they would plan all the extensions because the machine room is in the center of the building and you've got to get your mouse and keyboard working where the computer is way far away, et cetera. Um, and you know, they came out and actually did the physical wiring in all our mix stages and our pre-dub rooms. Um, so they were instrumental and absolutely fantastic all along. Um, and they, they continue to be a resource for us. So I can't thank them enough. It is amazing how frustrating it is after you've built a bunch of stuff and then realize that the monitor chain is five feet too long and won't work or something like that. Exactly. And, so uh, yeah. we got to so a point. So now we got to get a repeater and yes. uh, yeah, like all that kind of thing. So having someone that will be able to spot those problems ahead of time, I can imagine, would be uh, exactly. pretty They're, great. Their team was, here's the gear you want because we know it works. We've done this forever and it's going to be really solid for you, which was instrumental for us uh, in the long run. And making the choice to have someone on your side for those things is like, it's a fantastic way that we got kind of bang for our buck. They also sourced all the gear for us. So every piece of gear that we didn't already own and some of it we reused, um, they sourced for us at like really good prices. So. And there were shortages too at yes. that time, massive shortages on speakers that we wanted for editorial and amps that we needed. And so they were really willing to like roll with it, figure out a solution of another product that we could use or like figure out a way to get us closer to the front of the line. Things that we couldn't have possibly done on our own. Exactly. Like, I would not have had any idea that if you can't get a crown amp with built-in Dante working, that you could use their blue amps and just get a blue Dan in, and then it's a great workaround for basically the same price. Um, things like that. Easy solutions. Um, and then we also had a whole other team doing all of our networking. So that was really fun for us to figure out, okay, what do each of the rooms have? What, what kind of connections are they going to have? Internet connections for X sort of use. Uh, server connections that don't touch the internet because we're sandboxing everyone out from it. Uh, Dante in every room because maybe someday Dante? I don't know. <laughs> That's basically was our, our, <laughs> our attitude with Dante. It's like if you're opening the walls, now's the time to do it. So our networking infrastructure was all, you know, we kind of came up with that ourselves as well. Now that it's all designed, mm -hmm. it's built, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how do you port everything from your previous studio to here? Or are we there yet? Yeah, just personnel-wise or like gear-wise or everything. Well, like, you said you reuse some gear. Yes. But so, that gear is being used. 
Yes. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. We basically had to shut down our mix stage for a large period of time because the building we were in as a fun turn of events was being sold while we were still renting it while we were building this facility. So we had to come up with alternative options. So at that time, we were able to make a deal with Aura Sound and Color, which is where we rented our mix stage, to stay just on the mix stage there. And so I moved my home to just being 100% on the mix stage while our building was then basically taken out from under us. And then we found like a one week period of time where we could not plan any mixes and things like that, where we rallied the troops, broke down all the gear that was there to bring over here so we could start mixing over here. Luckily, the, the gear that's physically on our larger stages is on a, like a whole different class and level of that gear. So that gear became our pre-dub gear, and our pre-dub rooms are outfitted like our old mix stage used to be. And then this room was all brand new gear. Didn't we bring this, this computer, though? That's true. We did have to bring this one computer. So we had bought the the Cadillac Mac Pro at the time, knowing we were going to build this facility. So that was the one main thing, that and the um, Focusrite Redline 16. But those are the things we had to think about on paper and go like, okay, it's sort of like um, one of those puzzles where you move the pieces around and then you got to figure out how to get them out. We would basically... Uh, map all of those things out. Okay, this piece of gear can now move to the new facility at X time, and then we're ready for this editor, or we're ready for this pre-done mixer, and we could slowly move people back in. And that's exactly what we ended up doing. So we kind of ran two companies at once. We had we had old boombox working, which was mostly people working from home or from rented facilities, at the same time that we were finally getting this facility up and running. But the real wild card is, when is the gear really going to be installed and working? When is the fabric really going to be on the walls? At what point can we really bring a client into this facility? And that was the one godsend for COVID for us, is we could say, you know, let's keep mixing remote for a little while longer. And most of our clients were more than happy to oblige uh, versus having a hard date where they were going to walk in this door. Yeah, that did really help that we were ever cast on a lot of Mm -hmm. stuff. And then also Westlake, which I don't think you mentioned, as they got the gear in piece by piece, they built the rigs there to make sure that they all worked and that they had all the components. And then we just had to settle on an installation day or two or a week or whatever. Where they bring so, the racks Where over. they brought it over and installed it here. But it was much faster than if we had tried to like put it all together and then see how it worked. <laughs> I was just going to say, we spent eight years of let's put it together and see how it works ourselves. <laughs> Then we decided to hire the professionals. Yeah, then we moved in here. The bulk of construction ended about the beginning of last year, but then there were lots of things, especially with the stages that were still continuing to happen into the well into the year, and also all the COVID protocols and different people's feelings and sentiments about their own safety and their own personal situations. We really didn't bring people back in until somewhat recently, and I would say like very recently have basically all of our client mixes are now in person barring things that are remote just because we have more bi-coastal productions than we used to um but yeah we're finally like fully up and running here with with all clients and all employees Mm -hmm. doors wide open yeah it was worth all the stress it was definitely worth it. And also, honestly, it makes me feel so relaxed now because I'm like, man, I have like one third of the job that I used yeah, to have. Exactly. It feels great. It's a really good point. <laughs> no, I mean, I think next to, you know, uh, choosing to marry my wife and having kids, like, honestly, this building and this facility, like coming into it every day, I think Kate and I both just feel so lucky that it's 
done, <laughs> but also that it's ours and we can kind of just, we could build things and control things exactly like we needed for our business. I don't know that if I had known exactly how much work it would have taken, that at the time I would have been like, yeah, like I don't know that I would do it again tomorrow, for example. Yeah, like uh, everybody on our team keeps joking, like, oh, when's the next one coming? We're like, never. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't, I, I can't be more thankful every single day for the facility because we're just so happy. And like Kate said, we do get awesome feedback, like almost on the daily from these new clients walking in, um, which is just, it's really rewarding after you, you know, sort of beat yourself up to get it built. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, are you sleeping better now? Oh, I sleep so much better now. I mean, aside from the the general running of business. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we went from things. no sleep to just bad sleep. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. much, much better, actually. Well, I can say as someone who just walked into the facility for the first time ever, it is a beautiful, welcoming facility, and the rooms look really cool. And one of the things I mentioned was the details, like the uh, projector housing is is a beautiful uh, build like it looks really cool. Thanks. Everything looks cool and welcoming, and uh, congratulations on it. And thank you very much for talking about your harrowing process. Yeah, thank you <laughs> it, for uh, listening. There were points at it where I was getting stressed. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm PTSD from sitting here. No, thank you for having us. We we love talking about this stuff, and we love sharing this information with everybody. Well, that's the thing is that uh, there's a lot of people who try and keep all this stuff to themselves so that uh, no one else can learn from their mistakes. Not mistakes might not be the right. Word. But, no, uh, it's mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, learn from your knowledge. So thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Of course. Yeah. Thanks. Dumb Bitters is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Morrow. Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your emails to info at tonebenderspodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or B&H, or leave us a tip. Just go to ToneBendersPodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening. 